Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine. Hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. This week, I talked to Tiffany Haddish in a hilarious, deep, thoughtful interview where we dive into family trauma, grief, sobriety, love, and dating. I got a big heart, and I'm very forgiving, but, like, don't abuse it. It's been abused enough. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss this one. What do you do when life doesn't go according to plan? That moment you lose a job, or a loved one, or even a piece of yourself. I'm Brooke Shields, and this is Now What? A podcast about pivotal moments as told by people who lived them. Each week I sit down with a guest to talk about the times they were knocked off course and what they did to move forward. Some stories are funny. Others are gut-wrenching. But all are unapologetically human and remind us that every success and every setback is accompanied by a choice. And that choice answers one question. Now what? Did you ever see that um, job search? The, there was a person interviewing these potential prospects mm-hmm. and they go through a list of what the job entails. Right. And it's 365 Days work a year, mm. no paid leave, no time off, no vacations. You have to clean up uh, everything. Yeah, <laughs> fluids. Yeah, and your fluids, bodily fluids, etc. And <laughs> fluids. then, and then you watch these people say, "Well, wait, 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 wait. No, what? What is the job?" And then the person says, "Motherhood." Oh my God! <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> My guest today is Angela Garbus. Angela is a writer, a thought leader, and the author of two books, including her bestseller, Essential Labor, Mothering is Social Change. Reading it made me think more clearly about my own labor and the importance of care work both inside and outside of the home. But that's not the only reason I wanted to talk to Angela. Her book also sets up what I feel is a very clear now what moment for our society. How do we shift our collective view of care work, domestic work, and parenting, given all that we learned during the COVID pandemic? It's a fascinating conversation, and I am so excited to bring Angela's voice and her important ideas to this show. So without further ado, here is Angela Garbus. 
First of all, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. I really enjoyed your book. I both listened to it and then did my little highlighting and underlining things. It really taught me a lot. I feel oh. it also taught me how much more I have to learn. But in Essential Labor, you really challenge the reader to re-examine how they look at their own labor. Not just their own labor, but the work of those around them and how to define it and how we value it. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I think that has gone through a lot of changes, but I'm interested in, in what you really think is the most important about that concept. So I think that taking care of ourselves, care work, domestic work, I'm thinking about all those things like getting up and taking a shower, changing the bed sheets, cooking some food, listening to your body, all of these things like that we really take for granted. And I was, I grew up, you know, both of my parents worked full time. I had a pretty comfortable upbringing. I didn't consider how much work went into maintaining our family and raising us and keeping us loved and fed and clothed, right? And when I became a parent, I found it really humbling. I started thinking like, gosh, how did my mom do this, right? Like she worked full time. She had three children. She uh, was a new person in this country. She was separated from her family and support system. I think in a lot of ways, I I've been catching up, but I think I've been thinking about care work for most of my life. My mother also worked as a nurse. She was a hospice nurse who took care of people in their last stages of life, mm. you know, and tended to their families. And that sort of perspective that I gained becoming a mother and growing older was beginning to see my mother as a person and all of the work she did, both professionally and personally, caring for people. Well, and what you started off with is self-care, yeah. which is the interpretation of self-care not being an act of selfishness oh, no, no, or no. ego, but actually yeah. preparing you to even be more essential and helpful to those around you. Did your mom see that differently? I grew up in a household where I think that love was demonstrated, especially motherhood, and, and mothering was sacrifice. You know, I think that my mother often um, put her own needs last. You know, I mean, she still got herself out the door and was, you know, put herself together. But that's what I mean. I think that, like, I'm not thinking about self-care like, you know, lighting a candle and taking a bath. I'm talking about just basic care that so many of us take for granted, but is the thing that makes all other work possible, right? If we don't have food in our pantry, you know, if we don't have running water, if we don't have someone, you know, waking us up in the morning and getting us out the door, we can't do anything else. And so I, I, I want to kind of expand this idea of caring and mothering to call a lot of people in and to show that we do this work for ourselves and we do this work for our children. We do this work for our elders and people who are sick and people who just need a little extra love. And part of the way that this book came about was that at the beginning of the pandemic, you know, I have two daughters. They are seven and four now. And our preschool shut down. So I was with my children 24-7 for four straight months. <laughs> and that was very intense. And as much as I knew that that was the most important work I could be doing, you know, keeping them safe, keeping my community safe and healthy, I felt really like, oh, God, this is this is a lot of work. And this was a time in the pandemic when we were talking about essential workers, right? We were talking about healthcare workers. We were talking about sanitation workers and teachers. And I believe all of those people are essential workers. But I couldn't get around the idea. I just kept feeling like, what about me? <laughs> 
What about parents? What about mothers? Like we are all working 24 seven. We are working around the clock professionally, taking care of our kids. And it feels pretty damn essential what we're doing. And why aren't we talking about us this way? You know, I had a single mom. I always thought that I'd be a single mom for some reason. Mm. And what's so strange is what I discovered during the pandemic was that I really thought that it was going to instantly be shared and equal. Yeah. And the number of times that my husband would say to me, yeah, but you're the mom. Mm. And I'd be like, what? what? Wait a what minute. Does that mean? Wait a minute. Can we un- can we pause here? Can we unpack this? Like- <laughs> yeah. And it wasn't just the idea of things that I had to attend to or, you know, I I we started tried to divide it and I said, "Okay, look, I'll do all the sheets and all the towels, but you each have to be responsible for your own laundry." Mm-hmm. And they didn't balk at it. It was sort of seamless. The one person who didn't do any of the laundry was my husband, (laughs) which I didn't hold against him because he's a really good cook, right? So it was all these different ways we navigated, but there was a sense of uselessness and depression that I felt because the work that was done never got finished. And there didn't seem like there was a lot of thanks. Yeah. But I think most people who are mothers and who go into it with eyes open in any way know, like, you don't go into parenting to be celebrated every day. Like, it's it's in some ways a thankless job. I wanted unconditional love. <laughs> the, the things that are most rewarding about it are very private, right? Like, the, like the way a child like holds your hand or the way that you know that you comfort them, like that only you can do. It's very satisfying, but it's extremely difficult to quantify. It has no monetary value. And if you try to describe it to anyone, it's weird. It's very ephemeral. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I definitely felt like in my household, like my husband and I have more conversations than I would like about logistics. Like how do we divide things as equitably as possible? And I just know, like, I think ahead about things in a way that he does not. Like, if I know I'm making dinner, I'm thinking about it, like, the day ahead or, like, in the morning, like, what's in our fridge? And he's, like, opening the refrigerator at 530, being like, what do we got? And I am i don't understand that at all, right? But um, so I think, you know, it's partly the way we are conditioned and the way we are brought up. And even, like, great men, right, um, feminist men, are, they have massive blind spots that they're not often aware of. You know, it's like you're the CEO of a company, you right. know, you're running a production company, you know, it happens to have these different yeah. characters, these different actors that are playing different roles in their lives. And, you know, and they're very needy, as many actors can be. Yeah. But you talk about raising children as a social responsibility. Yeah. One that requires robust community support. But in America, that is not necessarily the way we're taught or the way we are organized as a society. Yes. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So the primary way that we organize family and kin in America is the nuclear family. We hear about this, right? It's like a mom and a dad and like 2.4 kids or something, right? Like based on the data. And it's a very distinct American modern way. Like the nuclear family has not been around really for that long. It's been maybe around for like a century, maybe less than that. And if you were to sort of like zoom out, the way people have lived all around the world for centuries is more communally. I mean, even the the original 
nuclear family in America was like a man goes out to work and a wife stays home, which is why school gets out at 2.30. But modern America now, women both want to work out of the home and also life is so expensive that most households need two parents working. And because in the United States, we don't guarantee basic human rights, right? Healthcare is tied to working. We don't guarantee housing. We don't guarantee family leave. Um, we don't guarantee education. So we all have to work and we're all left feeling like these are my individual problems to solve. Where I believe that, you know, you and I are here not because one person raised us. We're here because a group of people raised us, right? Like there were babysitters, there were nannies, there were teachers, there were mentors, right? The future of our existence as people and the continuation of America relies on on having a next generation of both, you know, consumers and workers and just people. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty and I'm the host of On Purpose. On Purpose's mission is to create impactful conversations to help you become happier, healthier and more healed. This week, I talked to Tiffany Haddish in a hilarious, deep, thoughtful interview where we dive into family trauma, grief, sobriety, love and dating. You'll be laughing, crying, and have so many impactful takeaways after this interview. I had this, like, you know, homie lover friend for a long time. He's very disrespectful to me, very kind of messed up to me. But in my mind, we could get married. We had the most beautiful babies. He handsome. I'm pretty. Like, it would be so cool. He's smart and intellectual. I'm kind of smart, I think. Like, it would be fun. We have the best conversations. Like, we have fun. But then he would treat me like crap. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss this one. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, stories from the frontiers of marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Mr. Worldwide himself, Pitbull. A lot of artists in general, people that are very creative, sometimes tend to overthink. That's one of my number one rules. Don't ever overthink. You can think ahead, but don't overthink. And what I mean by that is when they start to write a record, they're like, oh, that's not the line. Oh, that's not this. Oh, it's not that. And everybody has a creative process. I'm not knocking it. For me, I just let it flow. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark, more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
I'm really curious because if this, why is, why is this the right time for our society to start rethinking the definition of labor as essential? And how do we kind of, how do we go about attaining that and redefining it? So the care crisis, as um, we've all seen it. So when, when schools and daycares and preschools shut down, we were lost, right? Like there are 2 million less women in the professional workforce right now than there were at the start of the pandemic. What do we lose, do you think, when women disappear? I mean, I think every parent is a working parent, whether they work outside of the home or not. But women's participation in the professional workforce outside of the home directly impacts our involvement in public life. It makes me sad to think about what we've lost. We've lost their art. We've lost their policy ideas. We've lost um, their research contributions, right? We've lost just women engaging um, in discourse about what we need to be doing. And and those are the things that we're missing. The reason why we don't have, you know, childcare and family leave is because the majority of people who represent us in government are old white men, right? And so I think about how we've never had a president who knows why it's important to have like a, a maternity leave policy or a family leave policy. Well, it used to be frowned upon. It was like, oh, are you going to be able to do your job if you have a baby? Mm-hmm. If you become a mother, yeah. is that going to ruin everything that you are as a business person? Yeah. And we've seen now that it doesn't mean that. Some women are able to have both of those things. Or I mean, I don't think it's possible to have it all. If you're having it all, it means you're you're figuring out how to do it all. And this is one thing that was exposed in the pandemic, right? So even people, and I am uh, lucky enough to count myself among them, I can outsource some of my childcare, right? To preschool teachers or to a babysitter, right? The care crisis existed before the pandemic. It's just that some of us felt it more than others. In the pandemic, when, as I said, all of these mothers were dropping out of the workforce because they could not do professional work and domestic work and also, you know, manage online school. (laughs) We saw, like, there was a wave of articles where people were like, women are not okay. You know, America doesn't have a social safety net. It has mothers. And even mothers who, like, you know, say are like the CEO of a company, when their, like, nannies couldn't show up or their babysitters couldn't show up or their house cleaners couldn't show up, they were all like, wait a second. I've done everything. I've leaned in, (laughs) and yet it all comes down to me. And I think this is the opportunity to see that we need, we hide this work, this domestic labor, right? And we don't pay people very well. People who do domestic labor are three times as likely to live in poverty as people who do any other job. But now is the time to say, I saw this, like this was exposed. The sort of, um, the way we've structured American life is not actually sustainable. Well, and like you said before, I mean, this show is about pivotal moments and our now what moments. And I think that this is a very, very strong moment. But I also think that there's something that you touch upon, but I'd love to hear a little bit more about it, is the guilt around not being a stay-at-home mom. I remember getting really depressed right after I had my first child. And part of it was because I wanted to have a child so, so terribly, and it was difficult for me. Mm. But then I felt flattened yeah. because was I only supposed to be a mother at that point? And mm-hmm. that was never—I well, I wasn't prepared for that Yeah, because I wasn't all of who I am yeah. 
in that moment. Yeah. And it took, it really took a long time to find a version of balance, which I don't ever really think it feels balanced. I think of it more as like you're juggling, right? And yeah. on a good day, you're, you've got three or four balls in the air, but inevitably something gets dropped. Right. It's just like, it's right. just the way it is. And you kind of have to be like, well, that's what happened today. And I'm just going to keep going. But I also think it's our social responsibility to, as we are being re-educated in how we look at this, really having those conversations with your children yeah. too, because we're raising this next generation of hopefully conscious of the, the, the different levels of what it means and how it's never just one thing. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because to sort of piggyback off that idea of, you know, we both felt flattened, like we were losing our minds a little bit doing all of this care work. Part of the reason why I wrote this book is to remind myself that, yes, like parenting oftentimes is drudgery. It's repetitive work and um, it's hard. It's a real slog day in and day out. But it does have tremendous power and meaning. You know, this is where we get to impart the values that are important to us, like to our children. This is where we get to speak to our children and say, yes, like, I love you so much and I'm never going to stop taking care of you. But you should say thank you because getting dinner on the table is work, right? Yeah. And like, yes, I love you and I want to spend time with you. But if if mama doesn't have time to go work, like to perform, to, you know, like be on set or for me, like to sit in front of my computer and think and write, then I don't feel like my whole self and I, I can't show up for you. And those are conversations that my parents didn't have with me, right? right. And I think women of previous generations we're, we're not able to be their whole selves in the way that we are. And it's still work to do it. Like I sort of fight to take up space and say that I'm allowed to have all of these things. But this is a real opportunity so that our daughters and our children, it's a little less hard for them. Maybe it won't be less hard, but it, but they'll have an understanding, and that understanding will give them a certain power because they will they will have seen it. They will have seen it in action. Yes, you know, and I think that's important. But say for people who do struggle financially, right? Mm -hmm. What can we do to sort of compensate? Because you talk about compensating domestic workers. Mm -hmm. If we don't have a lot of money ourselves, the standard for the industry is low for what we pay people. That is not our individual problem to solve. Like, this is a societal and structural one, right? I think we should pay people as much as we can and to see this work as just as valuable as as the work we are going to go do. Like, we hire someone to take care of our kids so we can do something. Like, they're equal. All work is good work, you know? Childcare is not less skilled than anything else. Like, we're really kind of fooling ourselves if we think that. And I think the way we begin to value that, well, one, it's to, you know, a lot of these workers are mothers themselves. So I always wonder, like, Who's taking care of their children? You know, we had a nanny share, my husband and I, and two families that we're still friends with um, when our little ones, this was almost 10 years ago, she was always allowed to bring her son. Bruce was his name. <laughs> and he was three. And I was like, oh, this is great because the children have another child to interact with. She doesn't have to worry. She doesn't have to pay for childcare. So I think there's, there's, we can just be creative, right? We can find out the All people right. who we hire to do this work, what's going on in their life. <laughs> Bruce sounds like a 25-year-old, by the way. <laughs> That's why I mentioned his name. He was, um, Hey, I'm Bruce. Yeah. You're Angela. <laughs> yeah, totally. He was, he was three and he had a, a wonderful bowl cut and it would just be like, Hey, and it came, came to your house in a little suit. Um, you've talked a lot about the phrase of skilled versus unskilled. Yeah. Why do you think care work isn't seen as skilled labor though? Cause we don't define it as that. Because women do it, because we expect women to do it, and because it's in the home, because it's not like outside in professional worlds. I think it's very sexist. And it's racist too, because we have 
in America, the work that happens in the home, which is domestic labor and care work, it's because of slavery. The home has always been a site of work for Black women in America. And we're comfortable paying people lower wages because in America, we've come of age with this idea that people of color work in the home, right? And we're okay paying lower wages. That's a legacy of slavery. You and I just talked about how doing just care work for several months made us want to, like, die, right? <laughs> like, because it's hard work. Like, it is not easy. Well, you call it highly skilled labor, it's highly skilled. Like you said, CEO, management of a household, right? Multitasking, keeping track of to things. To keep a human being alive. Yes, <laughs> yes. All of it. And to tend to their emotional and psychological needs, which is some of the hardest stuff. And some of the most exhausting, you talk about it, women as being characterized as in servitude. Yeah. This is what you're talking about, right? I'm thinking about it, yes, doing care work and like mothers are expected to do this for free. Let's go back to the CEO, the female CEO that I was talking about, who has had a housekeeper and a nanny and, you know, a lot of support. And then in the pandemic, they all went away because she couldn't have someone come into her home and do those things. And then she felt like, what am I doing? Like, I'm still somehow in charge of everything here in my home because no matter how successful you are in relationship to the male world in America, which is, you know, patriarchy. All women are in a condition of servitude. And this is, I think, what's hard for a lot of people is that we are not so different from the people we hire to do this work. And I really believe, like, we need to see ourselves as being in solidarity with that. Because if we can win workers' rights and a living wage for the people who we hire to do this work, actually, parents, you know, we're one step closer to being able to say this work is valuable and, and parents should be paid for this work and parents should be compensated. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty and I'm the host of On Purpose. On Purpose's mission is to create impactful conversations to help you become happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Tiffany Haddish in a hilarious, deep, thoughtful interview where we dive into family trauma, grief, sobriety, love, and dating. You'll be laughing, crying, and have so many impactful takeaways after this interview. I had this, like, you know, homie lover friend for a long time. He's very disrespectful to me, very kind of messed up to me. But in my mind, we could get married. We had the most beautiful babies. He handsome. I'm pretty. Like, it would be so cool. He's smart and intellectual. I'm kind of smart, I think. Like, it would be fun. We have the best conversations. Like, we have fun. But then he would treat me like crap. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss this one. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega-hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, 
or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Mr. Worldwide himself, Pitbull. A lot of artists in general, people that are very creative, sometimes tend to overthink. That's one of my number one rules. Don't ever overthink. You can think ahead, but don't overthink. And what I mean by that is when they start to write a record, they're like, oh, that's not the line. Oh, that's not this. Oh, it's not that. And everybody has a creative process. I'm not knocking it. For me, I just let it flow. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Do you see some changes happening where there's paid leave that's longer or paid leave for the not just the father or the mother? Yeah. I mean, I think now we don't think of it as just maternity leave. We talk about it as family leave. Right. And that fathers should take that. And we also talk about it in terms of it's not just about someone giving birth to a child. It's like if you're adopting, if you're welcoming a foster child into your home, if your mother gets sick and you need to take care of them, it's elder care. I mean, at some point in your life, everyone you know, including yourself, is going to need care and time to do that. And so I see those changes happening in policies, yes. I also see, you know, the pandemic is terrible and it's still going on and it's terrible. (laughs) But there's something that gives me hope, which is that You know, I formed a pod with another family. We heard about mutual aid. We heard about community kitchens and community refrigerators and little free libraries. And to me, all of that was people saying, I can't do this by myself. I need help. And people stepping in and saying, I can't do this by myself either. And I want to help you. How can we help each other? And so what I see all around me are people have been doing that for the last two years. And I don't want that to go away. As you said, like, this is a pivotal moment. It's a once in a generation moment. If you, if I absolutely believe that, yes. And it's time to invest in the people who mother, not who are mothers of children, but who mother, who care take. Yes. And my mom, you know, she used to say to me, she'd say, don't kid yourself. She said, blood is not thicker than water. <laughs> and I used to think like, well, that's terrible. And how do you, and yet- we relied so much on her friends. Yeah. And and we have that a lot in our family with our girls. And I watch their different relationships with these people in our lives. I watch their different relationships with other friends' mothers. And instead of getting jealous and say, well, why don't you talk to me about that stuff? I'm your mother. I realize that there are some of their children that come to me and confide in me. Yeah. And I... It's not a problem. Like, I don't run back to the mom and, you know, but I watch myself be a different voice in their life, a non-judgmental voice that wants to help them. And doesn't that feel great? Doesn't that feel great to do that for other people? Well, (laughs) it is. so lovely. It's interesting is because I used to be really hung up on the fact that I was sort of bohemian and, you know, I don't don't have a meal on the table. And... Mm -hmm. You know, and then when I thought I couldn't have children, I thought, what am I? Who am I? That's Mm -hmm. all I ever wanted to be. And this sort of identity that was tied into being able to provide a child to the world, you know, procreation, you know. Mm -hmm. And I realized after 
having two children and seeing other people's children, that there were so many other ways that I could contribute, that I didn't have a little apron on and have a perfect meal or bake gorgeous cookies or whatever, because those were all the things I grew up thinking were valuable Mm. when couldn't have been farther. It's just not reality. And especially now, like we look different. Our lives look different. Society has changed, right? And we need, like, I I love this. I want my daughters to have someone like you, like who I can't be everything to them. And that again goes back to that social responsibility, you know, like one parent is not enough. Two parents is not enough, right? Like I, we need, we need like in-laws, aunties, like I said, that chosen family, like you don't have to have a desire for children. You don't have to particularly like children. I I think it's great if you know you don't. I don't don't like a lot of other people's children because I don't always like mine. (laughs) But it's so nice to be able to, you can still have meaningful relationships, right? With younger people, with older people, right? With your peers, like that's just being human and that's just that care. I'm curious to see what your mother thinks of these sort of new new ideas, just because that was an interesting piece in the way your mother grew up and the rules that she had with regards to being the mother in the household. Yeah. I mean, my mother grew up in the Philippines, and it's a very different culture. You know, she felt um, women are expected to, you know, really run the household and to, I mean, it's almost like you serve at the pleasure of your husband kind of a thing. Um, and a lot of what she was taught was about sacrifice and being making herself small and her own desires like took a back seat to everyone else's. Um, and there's a huge obligation to family in Filipino culture. I think like that sort of wide family of like being close to lots of people, having extended family is something that I want more of in my life. And when my mother moved here to America, she just didn't have that kind of community. And my parents kind of really doubled down into um you know, like an isolated life. But also my mother grew up with maids. You know, in the Philippines, having domestic help is normal. You don't have to be rich to have a maid. It's just kind of, I mean, you know, in, in a country that is poor and that still has a developing economy, it is really like there's somebody always poorer than you. And so domestic work is um, very, very common. And I have mixed feelings about that. And so does my mother. You know, I think when we would go back to the Philippines, I could tell she was uncomfortable with having people, um, you know, like wait on us, do our laundry, clear the table. Mm. I grew up being told, my mother used to say, I'm not your maid. (laughs) So like, you need to do the dishes and do all of these things. But um, over time, I've seen her really, she, she just respects the domestic workers and the maid's authority and lets them do their job. And she has, like, I've seen this over like the last few decades where she says to me, who am I to say that I can do their job better than them? I can't. I loved that. Yeah. And I think it's really, I, when I go to the Philippines, it is like, I know people are not making a lot of money, but like a job is a job and work is work. And I see them as occupying a place that's, it's, they're very integral to the families and it's, it's complicated. And I don't have like a one answer, like, oh, it's, it's good or it's bad. Right. But one thing that I've been struck by is how it feels very honest. You know, the maids are not hidden. The people who do the laundry, they're part of the household. Everyone knows them. And I think about how in America, we hide that work away. So you're wanting to bring it more to the forefront in opening the discussion about empowering. Yeah, domestic workers are important and there's no shame. Like, if you are fortunate enough to be able to afford, you know, someone in your home to help, 
I don't want to take that away from you. I think that's great. I think that's fantastic because people can't do it all, right? But I think the more that domestic workers feel valued, yes. I think there would be less shame, yes, absolutely. resentment, uh, division. Yeah. You know, and it's not this less than type of a, of a regard, yeah. but really trying to uphold that. And I think that that message comes through very clearly in your book. Thank you. And I think it's important because you grew up with two very different, distinct approaches to it. So if you were to look back at your life and just your whole journey, which is continuing on. Yes, hopefully how, we'll continue what, for years now. <laughs> yes, absolutely. What have you learned and what do you think is the through line? You know, I became a writer because growing up, I was, again, like I'm a, a woman of color. I grew up in a mostly white town. I saw how I just always felt like I was on the outside of things. You know, I kind of saw things from the outside. I was like, oh, the world is not meant for me. My food is different from whatever normal food is. And I think this idea of normal is something that I've always butted up against and and felt like why am I not included in that? Like, why Why is my family, who is so wonderful and we're great, and I love our food more than, like, pizza. I'd rather eat Filipino food. And I've always been sort of <laughs> wrestling with this, like, why is it that I know we are important and we matter, but I'm, I, I feel like to the outside world, outside of our home, we don't. And I think I became a writer in a lot of ways to write myself into the story. And so... A lot of my work, like from a young age and what I do now is to insist that everyone's story matters, right? And there's a place for everyone and everyone is valuable and, and we are equal. We have more in common than we do not. I also think that what you sort of, you encapsulate is this idea that when you say you're writing yourself into the story, you are making yourself visible and you're making yourself not necessarily loud in an angry way, but heard. Yes. Heard and seen. And that, with books like yours, I think the dialogue and the rhetoric around it and the narrative itself is is changing for the good. It may take a while, but yeah. again, like we started, we're, we're works in progress. Yes. No, I love that. Thank you. I feel really hopeful, too, and I think about how, you know, change is slow, sometimes frustratingly so. Right. And that's so is growth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I feel like it's a we're just on that journey. And but I share that same hope and I sense that. I know it from talking to people. And I'm so happy to be I feel really honored to be part of moving that conversation along. That was the wise and wonderful Angela Garbus. If you want to hear more from her, pick up a copy of her book, Essential Labor, Mothering as Social Change. You'll be happy you did. That is all for us today. Talk to you next week. Now What is produced by the wonderful Julia Weaver with help from Darby Masters. Our executive producer is Christina Everett. The show is mixed by Bahid Frazier and Christian Bowman. A special thanks to Nikki Etor and Will Pearson. If you liked this episode, please subscribe to the show on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your shows. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. 
Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Mini Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. This week, I talked to Tiffany Haddish in a hilarious, deep, thoughtful interview where we dive into family trauma, grief, sobriety, love, and dating. I got a big heart, and I'm very forgiving, but, like, don't abuse it. It's been abused enough. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss this one.